Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back for another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today we have Stuart Dickinson, who's the CEO of Variscan Mines Limited, which who are a natural resources company focusing on the development of high impact base metal projects. Um, they have some projects in Australia, Spain and Chile. Um, Stuart's, Stuart's journey into the mining industry um, isn't he didn't it isn't the norm how most people probably start or go into the mining industry um he sort started off in the military so i'm pretty curious to know and understand how he actually got into the mining industry and learn and learn about how non-technical mining people or who haven't got a mining background sort of can develop a career in the mining industry so that's what this um this podcast is mainly about so let's get straight into this and i want to welcome stuart how you doing stuart i'm well rob thanks for uh, thanks for having me on yeah and, no uh, worries. looking forward to this yeah no i appreciate you uh, taking your time to uh, have a chat with me um so i just want to kick this off how i normally kick off most podcasts is giving the audience a little bit about your background so obviously talking about the military and and yeah i'd like you like you to uh, talk about what you actually did in the military or or what you're allowed to say um and then after leaving the military how you how your career sort of then developed until you uh, up until where you are today okay um so in in some senses you're absolutely right um my my journey to the to the mining industry is unconventional. I'm not a geologist. I'm not an engineer or metallurgist. Um, I, I, I read geography at university largely to enable me to play more rugby. Uh, and that was a neat segue into to joining the army, which again, the primary reason for that was to uh, to allow me to play more rugby and also to do things that only young people can do at that stage in their lives. Um, but really, I found it an enormously positive and enriching experience, which really has set me up for life very well. Um, I spent a year at Sandhurst doing officer training, um, which is a, a, a well-worked-up leadership program, but with also some uh, some practical skills um, to develop your, your your abilities and also a highly uh, highly developed uh, educational component too. So 12 months there at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, and then I spent six months uh, in in operational service um, around the world, uh, including a couple of operational tours in the Balkans and also the Middle East. Um, so, so that that was a a, a very uh, short but important career life changing first chapter of uh, of my professional life. Um, before uh, before I then went to business school, uh, I went to the city, uh, spent ten years in investment banking, uh, latterly uh, running the mining team at Cat Fitzgerald, based in London, uh, and then took my to my first steps into into the mining industry some two uh, two and a half years ago. And now find myself, as you rightly say, a CEO of ASX-listed Variscan Mines, where we're developing some very interesting zinc projects in Spain, 
and also as a non-executive director of a London-listed gold producer in Russia called Trans-Siberian Gold. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so in some senses, as I said, it's very unconventional. But in another, it is a well-traveled road. Um, and, um, you know, I described those three, uh, three chapters as kind of uh, first chapter one, number one in the, in the military is hiding in holes. Uh, my second chapter is finance is really financing other people and management teams to dig holes and pursue their dreams. And then thirdly, is now digging holes of my own and realizing my own potential and aspirations in the mining industry. There are a number of other people who've done this. And, you know, I just quickly thinking off the top of my head about some well-known military miners, as I would call them. You've got the, the famous Jim Richards um, down, in, down in Perth. Um, you've also got a number of other names. Tom Butler, who's the CEO of the International Council of uh, Mining and Metals. You've got the legendary Algie Clough. And more recently, uh, Richard Williams of Barrack and now Trevely in Canada. All of those men, and it does happen to be men in those four examples, have all served in the British Army. Yeah. And so um, I think there's quite a quite a neat um, skills base, experience base that, that that those people and hopefully myself can bring to the industry. Yes, yeah, certainly. So obviously, going back to your military career. How did you how did you make that transition from leaving the military to go into the workforce and what challenges did you face? Uh, I, it, was, it wasn't a decision I took lightly. Yeah. Uh, it was a decision that was well thought through. And I think that's probably part of the nature of, uh, of the person I'd become at that point, which is, yeah. you know, you plan, you evaluate, you make uh, you make courses of actions and then you, uh, you, you try to pursue them. But it wasn't, it wasn't a straightforward road. Um, uh, I went and did some professional education. As I said, I, I, I went and studied for an uh, MBA at business school. Uh, that was absolutely key to, yeah. uh, to broadening my knowledge, broadening my experience, and uh, giving me, frankly, some credibility when I, uh, when I was looking to, to enter the world of corporate finance. Yeah. And why did you choose mining? Like obviously, when you worked in corporate finance, you did say that mm. you um, you were involved in mining, obviously from a financial perspective in the banking industry. But why were, were, did you choose mining, or was that the job the job that you went for was in in mining, or is it something that you always wanted to, uh, to wanted to get into? I've always had an interest in commodities more widely, yep. um, and that stems back to, to, to kind of um, my university, some of my university studies. So um, I started life as a, as a, as a, as a junior associate, uh, as a generalist, frankly, uh, covering all sorts of sectors. So I've done deals in recruitment, finance, and uh, financial services, and, and as well as oil and gas and mining. And, and as you progress through the investment banking uh, uh, ladder, you, you you increasingly have to specialise um, not only from a from a technical point of uh, of advice, but also from an origination point of view uh, as as well. So for me, I think that the 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 oil and gas and the mining industries had some very common traits uh, with the military, which which resonated and, and allowed me to empathise with management teams. And I and I broadly describe it as as doing difficult things in difficult places, often under yeah. difficult circumstances. So I found as a banker that I was able to relate to management teams very easily um, and, and discussing some of the challenges which they faced in their roles. And ultimately, we all find, find today ourselves. Yeah. And what were those traits that you, that you mentioned? Um, I, I, think, I, I think it's that... Um, 
that willingness to grasp the, the opportunity and uh, uh, face up to, to a challenge, whether it be a technical one, whether it be a political one, whether it be a physical one, an intellectual one, it's that, it's that willingness and desire to go out there and, and achieve uh, an objective or achieve a, a corporate intent, you know, irrespective almost of the circumstances, which is that, that, that kind of will-to-win mentality and, I, I, and, and the ability and the uh, desire to see through uh, a project to, uh, from, from in inception to completion. Okay. And obviously, you're in the mining sector. Um, is it what you expected? Uh, it is. And as again, I'd spent uh, my latter years in investment banking advising mining companies. So uh, I'd, I'd spent, uh, spent a significant amount of time traveling around the world, seeing clients, seeing their yeah. operations, being underground, being above ground. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a decision I took lightly, uh, again, to, to move the other side of the boardroom desk. Um, and I have to say, I found that hugely positively, hugely positive, hugely enriching. And uh, and also demanding, but but that's what you want. And again, that comes back to these character traits of of, of why you know certain managers and leaders in the industry uh, love what they do. Yeah, um, I mean, and sort of, I suppose, are non-technical qualified people able to lead effectively, um, say, in the mining industry, um, like yourself? And what qualities would you say they need? Mm. Uh, well, I, I point out there are a number of very successful and well-known um, CEOs uh, and senior leaders across the industry who do come from a non-technical background. So, you know, the, it would be an emphatic, yes, you can can make a difference and you can thrive in what is an inherently scientific, um, practical-based industry. Uh, why? Um, it's because of the very nature of the industry. It's complex. It's multidisciplinary. Um, it's looking at situations, projects, and opportunities that require a comprehensive approach. And non-technical people tend to have the benefit of not thinking necessarily in a particular way or um, have a uh, rigid experience because of a particular um, subject matter which they have become an expert in. So the way I, I look at it is from an organizational point of view is you need to have the right people, the right skills, and the right the right people in those roles and so if you think of it as a sports team you know it's kind of the way i look at it this is you know, high performing sports teams everyone in a sports team has a has a number on the back of their jersey and that corresponds to a skill set and a role yeah. but they can only win as a team if they effectively come together as teammates and yeah. gel and that is the way i look at it as, as a role of a senior leader or in the mining industry that you have to do the same your, your, your company is made up of lots of people wearing lots of different jerseys with lots of different numbers on them. And your job is to make sure they come together effectively and win or lose as a team. Yeah. And obviously coming into the mining industry, was it pretty, uh, a pretty steep learning curve? Um, and if so, how did, how did you cope with that? And how did you cope with some of the challenges that you did face coming from and uh, obviously a non-mining background. Sure. I mean, uh, as I said, I, I, I'd, I'd been banking mining clients for some years, so yes. um, I, I did have a, uh, certainly a, a ground floor level of knowledge to, to make me feel comfortable to go 
to, to move into the industry full time. Um, but, but I have spent a lot of time immersing myself in the subject matter, yeah. um, surrounding myself uh, and actually squeezing out the rich experience and knowledges of, of, of people around me. Uh, and again, it comes back to that kind of team mentality, surrounding yourself with super capable people who want to gel and, and thrive. But you're absolutely right. You know, in terms of moving my own knowledge base on, um, that you, you know, you just have to love what you're reading about. You have to love watching videos on YouTube. You have to love reading the periodicals. You have to love talking about it, and um, you know, which I do. And, and hopefully, that comes across in uh, in moving up that learning curve. Uh, as deep as as quickly as possible yeah. and i think i think you know and this comes into any industry really which is if you want to thrive you have to immerse yourself in it and and nobody knows it all uh and so you're constantly learning and i, I i'm a firm believer in lifelong learning and and hopefully i'm practicing what i'm preaching yes yeah, certainly obviously you mentioned you've mentioned quite a few times obviously teams and cooperation what would you say makes a good mining team what 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 are the different characteristics of a mining of a mining team? Looking at obviously the different disciplines, but what other qualities would you say makes up a good mining team and brings them all together? Like like you like you've mentioned a few times where you'll come together and cooperate. What what would you say makes a good mining team? <laughs> I'm sure that's one of those questions where everyone's got a different answer to it. But yeah. I'll ha I'll have a go at it. Um, I think encourage different thinking. It, it, you use the enriched experiences of those around you. And what binds that all together is a clarity of intent. Everyone is super clear about what you're all trying to achieve. Yeah. And that is that, that, that needs to come from the senior leadership team, a very clear unifying purpose. Why are we all here? Why are we all doing this? And what do we want to do? And and, 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 you know, for some teams, their objectives are very different to other teams. So I can't say that, you know, there's a generic set of skills or a generic set of um, uh, attributes to each particular team. But for me, I think whether you're trying to, to define a resource in the early stages of exploration or, or, or move that resource into a production construction scenario, or even look at a mine life extension scenario where you're already a producer or, or you need to grow through acquisition. The skills of those teams will be, still be multidisciplinary. The situation will still be complex, still be fast paced. But what do all of them require? It is a clarity of intent, a clear unifying purpose and a senior leadership team that is willing to resource and energize that purpose and that intent and without that without that leadership genuine leadership from the top and that energy and that buy-in and commitment then that then then all teams will probably struggle yeah obviously coming from the military um you're probably in a lot of risky environments in a lot of risky situations um how has your military experience shaped your attitude to managing risk and opportunities within the industry? And obviously, I think there's a, especially as we've recorded this podcast, there seems to be a lot of risk um, and security issues around various countries in Africa. Um, and obviously, with your military background, I think that's only going to help help any situation. Um, so, how 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 has your how has that experience sh shaped your attitude to managing risk and opportunities 
within the mining industry? Uh, um, I think it's, it, it's left an indelible mark on me. I mean, there's yeah. no two two ways about it. Um, and, and I see that as a, as a, as a positive. Um, you, you know, I think that experience has made me very comfortable with complexity. And I prefer to use the words complexity rather than risks because risks are, uh, you know, by their very nature in the eye of the beholder. And they're shaped by either that individual or that organization's experience, their knowledge, but also their prejudices. And what may be seen as a risk to, to one individual or one organization may be an advantage or even a competitive advantage to another individual or organization. So I prefer to, to, to think of these things as complex situations. And so w- what has the military really taught me and, and, and left me thinking about? Well, much is made about planning. And, and I do like a good plan. Yeah. I do like testing plans. But the real test of a plan is when it comes under pressure or is even broken. And that happens. And so I think the first thing is being comfortable and aware that your plan may not work or may be stressed. And, you know, Mike Tyson has this wonderful phrase, you know, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And I think that's so relevant to, to, to um, taking a, 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 a plan or a strategy that's devised in a boardroom and then hits the real world, uh, it often uh, it often doesn't always work out as one expects. So how do you deal with that? And again, this is where the military experience for me is, le- is very clearly shaped how um, the teams which I'm involved in, we try to approach this. I think the key, uh, there are two keys to this really, is one, coming back to this clarity of intent. Everybody in your organization knows what you are trying to achieve. So if the plan comes under pressure, they still know whatever actions that they are taking need to be orientated towards delivering that plan or that purpose, which which everyone is aware of. And then how do you achieve that? And I think that is really about devolving decision-making down to the lowest levels possible. It's not always possible to devolve it all the way down. but it, And I say that is because it's what I call ground truth. And in the military, you talk about ground truth a lot. And that is what is actually going on what is the person who's in the front of whatever situation it is? What are they seeing? What are they hearing? And what do they know? Because often the information and the reality which they are facing will be so much clearer, so much more vivid than you as a leadership team, which may be, in, certainly in the mining, mining industry, could be thousands of kilometers away from where this thing is happening. Yeah. So, you, so you need to devolve decision-making down to the lowest levels, but you need to give them that personal energy, that insight, and ensure that they understand the intent as to what you as an organization are trying to do. Um, so that's really how we've done it. And then again, I, I, I kind of break risks um, or complex situations down into, into a mining specific as below and above ground uh, issues. Um, and then really looking at the influence and actors upon both the above ground risk and the below ground risk. And you touched on physical security. Yeah. Um, earlier in your question and i think um you know it's very sad what's happened uh in recent times um and, and our thoughts go out to all those families affected uh, and everyone in the mining industry daily is affected by, by um unfortunately injuries or life-changing injuries uh, and we all understand that and, and t- take on that commitment um but it's also a number of other risks which um can be much more subtle and again, I think this is where the military experience for me is very vivid because in one, you know, in some certain theatres I found myself in, you know, one minute you can be you can be looking at very extreme, extremely dangerous or violent situations, and then the next 
uh, breath. You are then talking about a situation which requires deep empathy, humility, um, and a non-violent, non-lethal response. And I think um, we're seeing that more in the mining industry as well, uh, in, in tailoring our situations, in fast-moving situations. And um, and really, the best uh, the best way to deal with this is the prevent phase. Really, is is your social license, your engagement. Uh, and, and so the old adage of prevention uh, better than cure uh, definitely stands up. But but you still need to have that confidence that your plan uh, will come under pressure. It may break and you have the trust of your people uh, and they have uh, you know your trust, too, to get on with the situation that finds themselves because they are best placed to deal with it in most in most situations. So. The other thing I would add on on dealing with with responses to risk is that often people feel that they need to rush, that time is of the essence. And again, this is this is when you need to take a more nuanced approach at certain times. And, and I've seen certain times that sometimes go slow or yeah. even do the do nothing option is very valid because because of that complex situation, there is too much um, uncertainty. There is too much opaqueness in what you are dealing. You have imperfect information. And in fact, you will always have imperfect information. But sometimes to go slow, a more cautious approach can be equally as valid as a very bold, decisive approach, which more commonly people associate with dealing with risks. So uh, the other part of your question, I think, was about dealing with opportunities. I've just got three yeah. very, very key um, tenants which I use to, to, to kind of uh, around our team for, for dealing with opportunities. Number one is seize the initiative. Opportunities don't have a big sign on it saying this is an opportunity. You yeah. must grab it. So you've got to seize that initiative. And that is a time for being bold. That is a time for being decisive. And that is a time for fast action. Because if you don't, somebody else will or yeah. another organization will step into the gap. And then once you have, it's about maintaining momentum. So, you know, that really is... Uh, speed of speed of thought, speed, speed of deed, um, and then really generating uh, some progress quickly and sustainably. Um, and then once you have made an initial success, is then reinforce it. So how do you reinforce it? You may reinforce it with with additional resource that could be time, people, capital, knowledge, um, to really then is, uh, cement in the initial. Um, uh, gains that you've made by seizing the initiative, maintaining the momentum, and then reinforcing it. That's how you make a sustainable uh, development of that opportunity. And, it, and encompassed about that is, is, is what I call an ethos of will to win. People have to, teams have to, senior leadership people and teams need to want to win. It will not come to you. Yeah, no, I understand that. No, that's, that's a good uh, um, summarization around um, risk and opportunity. Um, what similarities would you say um, you've experienced being in the military compared to being in mining? Because I imagine, especially if you're working in sort of remote areas, um, mm. I imagine there would be quite a few things that are, that are the same and you go through similar processes. So what, what similarities would you say you've experienced? Um, uh, oh, there, there are some very common um, uh, themes that arise. One is this need for preparation. Often, um, mine site locations or project locations are um, uh, are remote, uh, have a challenging logistical element to it, may have a challenging physical security element to it, may have a complex political situation attached to it. 
may have a, a, a very complex stakeholder engagement or all of the above. So again, it's before you even leave the comfort of your own home or your office, you've done that prep work, you've done that planning as best you can. Often, as I said earlier, dealing with imperfect information, yeah. but you're well read into the situation. You try and utilize local knowledge as much as you can. Um, and that is a direct read across from, from the military into, uh, into the mining industry for me is that nobody knows their own backyard better than, than the people that, who were born and bred there. Um, so you try and, uh, try, try and uh, make sure that those people and their knowledge and experiences are, are uh, inducted straight away into, into your project to your mine, mine site location. Um, I think that probably the other thing is is resilience, I guess, is that's attached to um, that's attached to to these remote or, or mine sites. Is that you know, challenging temperate extremes is very common. Yeah. Um, challenging uh, living conditions are sadly still common, um, and I think you need to have a degree of personal resilience, robustness. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean to being rude or arrogant some people confuse robustness as being a tough person that's just about an inner strength in my mind an inner strength to 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 have the fortitude to deal with what's being put in front of you and uh, and, and progress so you know people a friend of mine was saying actually last week he said oh the mining industry is full of tough people and i said i said yes it is but i prefer to use the words resilient robust uh, and, and one and a group of people that have fortitude because because I think those words are much more apt. I think tough um, implies gives, gives the wrong yeah. impression. Yeah, and because actually a lot of mining is about is about being smart. It's about being uh, connected. It's about being very modern in terms of digitization. It's about being very modern in terms of how you deal with people. And, and it comes back to the old adage: people make projects, people make companies. And so um, you know that again is another direct read across from. The military to the mining, which is, you know, your group of people, uh, whichever situation you're in, whether it be a remote wilderness mine site location or a remote wilderness um, theater of operations, uh, you know, you're only as good as the people that you have with you. Yeah, certainly. Um, I've got one more question around the military. Um, and I just wondered how has the sort of military experience, obviously, that you've gone through shaped your leadership style? in the way that obviously you're the CEO of a, of a company now, how, and I suppose if you compare them to maybe other CEO, CEOs that you know of mining companies, how, how does your experience and how, how does your delivery differ from a traditional CEO that may have been a mine engineer, for instance, and worked their way up? Um, so, I mean, how has your military experience shaped your leadership style? And how does it compare to, I suppose, the norm, how someone would become a CEO of a mining company because they've gone through the, the normal, I suppose, the normal mine engineering or geology or even sometimes finance ind industry yeah. to become that CEO? Um, sure, it's a very, very good question. And I think you... You know, different, different is different. Different is not right and different yeah. is not wrong. And everyone's experiences are, are valid. And that's, that's really one of the things I've been trying to, to convey, hopefully, is that there is no right way um, to, to, to do this. There is no, there is no right pathway. Um, and then when you get to the role, um, I think you have to be very comfortable with your own style 
uh, your own strengths and your own weaknesses and actually being aware of them. And, um, you know, I'm very acutely aware of some of my strengths and some of my weaknesses. And I'm sure that most of my peers across the industry are too. Um, and so I think, you know, that's something that comes very much straight out of, um, uh, out of time at Sandhurst, you know, which is a formal structured leadership training program there. Yeah. And, and they very much encourage you to find your way because there is no right way. And if you try and adopt a persona or you try and be somebody you're not, you will get found out yeah. and it will not stand a stress test of a complex or stressful situation. So, um, you know, having spent time on that program, I mean, and then compare the leadership training and experiences from that and then compare it with, say, the leadership um, modules that are, I did on an MBA course. I mean, there just is no comparison. Um, and I think what that experience has done is made me very comfortable with fast, fast paced, complex environments. You know, we are in a hyper connected world, um, which present often conflicting dilemmas uh, and dilemmas by their very nature are obviously conflicting. So, you know, as I said earlier, there'll be times when you're looking at a very physical situation, um, but actually there are obviously a lot of virtual things as well. And that could be uh, technology failing or information flows failing. And information flows failing in either a military or a mining situation is a, is a critical um, enabler that would then be reduced. And so it's looking at these situations um, in a in a 360 way uh, and being comfortable with yourself and also I think a recognition that leaders leaders can't do it all yeah. you're there to lead you're there to direct but you're also there to do and so what how does that then you know what does that actually mean on a day-to-day -day basis that means trust your team you've hired these people mostly you've nurtured them and if you haven't nurtured them you're gonna you're gonna struggle um, you need to be honest with them. Uh, you need to be direct with them and then devolve decision-making to them at the right time. And I found that if you, you know, if I, if I kind of apply most of those things most of the time, that people really do pay you back big time in the most surprising ways. And, um, you know, that's just my approach. And as I, as I said earlier, I want to reiterate, there is no right way. Different is, different is okay. Yep. And um, I think we should celebrate that. Yeah. I mean, if, if everyone was the same, then there'd be no differences between people and companies. So there, there does need to be that diversity. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of the comments that you said there. Um, want to move, obviously move on now um, and ask, I've got a couple more questions, um, obviously, around, around the company. So I wondered if you can tell the audience um, a little bit about uh, Vast... Uh, Vafsikirian mines and obviously the projects that you're involved in. Yeah, I've got, I'll, a, bit, I've got a bit tongue tied there. I'll, I'll help you there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's for Riskin, which is Va a geological Va Va That's it. It's a geological term which uh, which, which some of some of uh, the listeners may be may be familiar with, but I agree it's not the most easy term to um, to to deal with. Um, so 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 Riskin is. Essex listed company. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a junior junior explorer developer, um, and I guess you know why of what I've been talking about has been relevant to Veriscan is that I was parachuted into Veriscan in 2017 to by the major shareholders in Asia to to effect a turnaround um, yeah. of a situation, and um, a lot of what I talked about 
I've actually had to apply in the in, the, in a real situation with um, a real company, real people, and, and other people's money. Um, that has now manifested itself in a very happy ending, where we've been through a series of um, country exit, a uh, series of political issues, and uh, we've now gone into new country entries, and that's uh, that's culminated in the acquisition of two really interesting and very prospective zinc projects in uh, in Spain. Um, pleased to say that we've done that deal with a private equity group based out in Australia, and. We're, uh, we're, we're very excited about that. We've already commenced our uh, preliminary work program on that. These are not greenfield assets. These are brownfield assets. This is a former producing mine and uh, a very, um, next to um, the former Rio Sin zinc mine, which, again, some of your uh, listeners will know, which is one of the you know, prolific zinc mine, which closed in 2003, a former extrata asset. Um, and we're just 80 k's away again from from the old days, uh, the Asturias to zinc smelter, which is currently owned by Glencore, which is the world's second largest zinc smelter. So we've got the right assets in the right country uh, with the right infrastructure uh, and route to market around us. Yeah. Um, and so what's the future and outlet for, for the company then? Well, I think it's really exciting. Um, and I... Um, I'm super excited to say that 2020 will be a milestone year for the company. We'll do our maiden drill program yeah. and uh, in northern Spain, in Cantabria, uh, on the San Jose Navales, um, on the Navales Udias project. And uh, we're, we're, we're very excited to prove up what we think is a very high-grade zinc deposit. And um, with a two-pronged strategy, one is the potentials for early cash flow through bringing in the San Jose Navales mine back into production, but then also um, proving up what we're calling Rio Sin version 2.0 of the UDS and Buena Hora exploration package, um, which is adjacent to the former mine. So we've got a lot to do. Um, uh, we've got the, the right people, uh, the right skills and, uh, and the capital now to, to do that. And so we're expecting a lot of news flow, drilling, drilling results, and uh, and hopefully some mineral resource es estimation work as well, uh, all in the next 12 months. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds good and sounds promising. Um, I've got a couple more questions. Um, I was going to slowly wrap that up, but now I've got a couple more questions, um, obviously, uh, as we've been speaking. How, I mean, how do you see things sort of developing in certain countries in Africa around, obviously, security? We've heard of obviously quite a few stories more recently of um, obviously people being murdered, um, et cetera. And obviously someone from uh, of, of the background that you've been through, how do you see things developing and how, what, I mean, what's, what are your thoughts around how things can be, I suppose, nursed a little bit better um, uh, or how, how would they deal with some of the situations that some of these countries are facing and the mining industry is facing in certain parts of Africa? Um, I, I, I think my first thing is um, I, I'm very careful not to generalize about Africa or Europe yeah, um, per se. I mean, you know, each country has a very uh, specific situation uh, and even e each region within those countries, again, have, have, have their own unique dynamics to it. So I, I, I'm very, very wary about about making broad brush generalizations. I think, I, I think, when when I look at 
When I look at the global map today and I look at where mining operations are underway and where mining operations could go underway, I think that you're seeing now a very um, challenging landscape where um, there are a multitude of, of, of above ground risks, to use a phrase earlier, that, um, uh, that, that, that mining companies have to evaluate and they have to continue to evaluate because just because you've been operating there for 10 years doesn't mean that you know it's all in that situation yeah. is not going to check. So I think mining companies now are very much in the, in the, uh, now of the mindset of continuous review and renewal of the assumptions uh, or testing the assumptions which they, they have pre previously uh, held. Um, I think physical security is but one of an, a wide number of factors which um, mining teams are evaluating their jurisdiction by, uh, and quite rightly. Obviously, it's the most um, immediate and, and personal to, to everybody. But, but this is a, really where I think governments have an enormously important role to play because capital and corporations have choices where they want to invest, uh, where they want to employ people, which deposits to, to develop. Uh, and each of these uh, countries and uh, projects and mines are effectively competing for capital and resources. And so when you look at your, your, your jurisdictional risk uh, and your, or in the wider context of your, your above ground uh, situation, then I think that the, the, the decisions and the policy responses which governments and uh, authorities are making is absolutely key. And I think that they have, a, uh, they have to lead. They really do have to lead um, because what is happening in certain countries is, is, is frankly a disincentive for any kind of commercial activity. And it's not just mining that's affected yeah. here. It's not just oil and gas which is affected here. You, you know, we're seeing, you know, I'm seeing a lot of foreign direct investment around the world, whether it be in manufacturing, whether it be in pharmaceuticals, making decisions um, about how to invest based on how governments have responded or failed to respond in certain circumstances to the situations which governments are concerned about, sorry, corporations are concerned about. Yeah, yeah, understand. One last question. Obviously, we've, you've spoken a lot about teams um, and obviously you're, you're in management. Is there... Is there a few tips that you can give anyone that's listening on how to, and I suppose I'm not necessarily um, speaking about senior managers, it could be supervisors, anyone I suppose in managerial positions, is there any advice or hints that you could give, give uh, the audience around obviously managing teams or how to best manage, manage teams? Uh, I don't think I'd be so presumptuous to tell um, tell my peers how to do their yeah. job. Um, but, but I suppose but I coming think... from the military as well, maybe some things that you've learned there that you've brought into the mining industry that have worked well, that not necessarily mining people would have would have known or would have learned. Um, is there anything, any tips that you can give people or, or advice or something that's worked well for you? I, I think... Um, Yes, I think it comes back to this honesty. It comes back to this trust um, yeah. uh, thing, and, and and that's difficult to to develop. But it's it's only developed over time. It's developed through shared experiences, shared values, and um, normally that means going through um, a project or a situation or a set of circumstances together 
Um, I find those situations where if you trust your people and you've given them that clear intent and you give and you've given them the tools to do the job, they, they do tend to pay you back. And I, and I wouldn't shy away from um, asking your team members and your colleagues for their feedback. Because often, and again, I, I, I did this, I did it. I was very unconventional at certain times in the military. I remember being in, 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 in Iraq at, at one stage and I, I actually gave on the eve of, um, of, of, of moving into Iraq um, from Kuwait, the choice of each of my soldiers to not go on the operation. Yeah. And I said, if you do not want to be here, then please do not be here. If you do want to be here, then give your all. And this was about shared experiences, trust, because I said to them, I trust every single one of you. And if you do not trust me or you feel like do not trust your colleagues and you feel this is a space that you cannot contribute 100 percent, then you have the option of leaving and we'll deal with that another set, another time. So that's just a little story about trust yeah. and giving people the choice and giving people feedback. And I find they respond really well to when they're asked to think and act probably beyond or outside the scope of probably what their, their job description or, or, or norm normal would be. Okay. No, that, I think that's, that's definitely good, uh, good advice. And I think it's in, in any situation and in business, two people, you need to trust the person that you're dealing with. And also I think dealing with uh, in any business transaction, there needs to be a fair, a fair exchange as well. So 50-50 sort of split of fair exchange because if one per if one party is feeling I suppose not cheated but don't feel they've got a fair deal, then I don't think that relationship will carry through. Um and obviously we all want to build lasting and trusting relationships. So I think, yeah, I think that point you've made that point. Um I, I think it's pretty valid. Definitely. Well, Stuart, really appreciate the time um, taking the time to do this podcast, and I hope hope the listeners have, have sort of got some um, snippets of things that you've um, you've experienced in in the uh, military that you've brought into the mining industry. So, um, if anyone wants to, um, I suppose, ask you any questions or um, connect with you, how can they go about doing that? Uh, they can um, go onto the Veriskin website, um, www.veriskin.com.au, and send an email to um, use, use the uh, the email address there, and that will arrive in my uh, my inbox. Um, and uh, they're very welcome to ask me anything they want yeah. to. And are you on any social media platforms? LinkedIn, you can message me directly on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Absolutely no problem. Okay, no worries. Alternatively, if you've got any questions, you can uh, email myself and I can pass uh, that message on to or email on to Stuart. And my email address is rob at mining-international.org. Um, yeah, really appreciate your time, Stuart. Um, hope you all enjoyed the podcast. I've certainly learned a few things as well, as I normally do. Um, so until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.